Shabbat Shalom. So, uh, as I think maybe anyone who's emailed with me uh, or seen the time stamps, time stamps on my emails uh, will know, I, uh, I like to stay up late at night. Um, I don't always like to do email late at night, but I like staying up late at night. I have my whole life, uh, my father, my grandfather, my grandmother, we're just we're a late night family. And uh, being up late is just something that's important to us. And I've, I've spoken to, I'm looking at the medical professionals and I know it's really bad for me. I know it's not great, uh, but I can't shake it. It's just what my, I wanna do it. And I'm not alone in this sort of desire to stay up late at night. It's nice, it's peaceful. People aren't calling you, you know, the emails aren't coming in. It's a little quiet. It's a nice time, and it also has this added bit of feeling uh, special or unique. In fact, in uh, ancient Greek poetry, there's this motif of the hero being awake at night. And the hero awake at night uh, almost always is coupled with a vision from the gods and then heroic action the next day. Right? Going, being up awake at night can feel like you're preparing for something uh, great or wonderful or big. And not only uh, are the Greeks in this, but the rabbis as well. In fact, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov tells us that a human, everyone should stay awake late at night and do uh, two or, th excuse me, three specific things. I can just look. That they should, uh, you should meditate at a time, in a place where people don't go normally during the day. Okay, so you can't just go to like a shopping mall when it's closed, right? You have to be in a place where there's not normally people. You meditate alone out in the woods or outside somewhere uh, in, in the fields is the time where you're supposed to go outside at night and have this mystical experience. And so Rabbi Nachman talks about this all the time and says that this is the, the highest thing one should do. And it's an interesting thing because the Mishnah, which is, again, thousands of years before Rabbi Nachman, says precisely the opposite. It says anyone who walks alone at night, anyone who goes outside in a field where people aren't usually going, they are chayav mitah. Their, their life is forfeit. They're taking their lives in their hands if you do this. And Rabbi Nachman knew the Mishnah. So what's Rabbi Nachman saying? In some ways, the point of this staying out late at night, going out, being up late, it's actually supposed to feel maybe even a little bit dangerous, a little bit outside of our lives and our comfort zones. And that's the moment where we, we can have some kind of mystical experience or some kind of meditative experience which will hopefully prepare us for the next day. Now, in the Torah that we read today, when we talk to, about Yaakov, he's Mr. Late Night. Yaakov is an up late at night kind of guy, just like me and my dad and grandpa. And in fact, when the rabbis talk about instituting the prayers, they say, well, where did the prayers come from? Here's your bonus question for the day. How many times a day does an average Jew pray? Say twice? Okay, I was going to say, from, from this corner, I expected more. Uh, so, yeah, three, 
Three times, that's right. Um, oh, thrice. I'm sorry, I misheard. I apologize. Okay. So, we, three times a day, in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening. And the, the, these three times of prayers obviously come from the sacrifices offered in the temple. But, say the rabbis, no, 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 no. They came from Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Avraham instituted Shachrid because he woke up early in the morning. Why? We'll tell you later. Uh, Yitzchak instituted Mincha, the afternoon prayer, because he is Lasuach Basadeh. He's out wandering in the field, having some kind of meditative thing in the afternoon before he meets his beloved. And Yaakov, our guy, institutes Mariv. He institutes Mariv. Why? Because we read last week that he has this dream at night where he sees God. Right? His divine vision happens in the evening, and so we get Mari from him. But he has another late-night episode this week, and it's slightly different. Right? In last week, when he gets a vision from God, it's a sort of passive thing. He's dejected, he's sleeping on a rock, God shows up, here's a ladder, here's some angels, I'm going to take care of you, Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> but this week, he's out at night, by his own doing, and he's up and he's awake, it says, Vivater Yaakov, right? He sends his family on ahead, but he remains on the other side of the river, and there he, he strives, he gets dusty with, he embraces with, whatever that word means, he wrestles with an ish, some mysterious person who is there with him. They wrestle through the night, and at the end of that, he gets a name change and a bum leg. And he goes on as not Yaakov anymore, but Yisrael, Ethan, as you spoke about beautifully earlier today. And the rabbis, our classic commentaries, are trying to figure out what is the nature of this experience of wrestling with this Ish? Who was this unnamed person? So the Rashi says that this is an angel. And it's the guardian angel of Esav, his brother, whom he's about to confront the next day. And then he has to basically wrestle with Esav's guardian angel first before he can confront Esav in the flesh. Sort of a spiritual preparing for the thing that's going to happen ahead. A later commentary, Sforno, actually pulls it out even further and says, no, no, Esau represents the non-Jewish world. And so this wrestling between Jacob, who is Israel, and the Esau's guardian angel, who is that, this is a micro, uh, macrocosm, a something-cosm of Jewish history, right? That, that we will be wrestling with the non-Jews around us throughout eternity. And that's what's happening in this moment. But then two commentaries come and make it a little bit more personal to Jacob. So Rashbam says that this angel was sent by God to test Jacob's purity and worthiness. He's wrestling with him saying, basically, do you have God's protection or not? And by the end of the night, realizes, okay, you do. So I'm going to give you a new name and I'm going to send you on your way. And Radak says that the angel is there to help prepare Jacob to meet Esau. If he can prevail over an angel, surely he can handle his brother. And that's the test that happens in this evening moment. And there's something fascinating about the way we can read these different commentaries. Is this moment at night, 
meant to be something deeply personal for Jacob and preparing him for what he has to do? Is it meant to represent all of us in this moment as a people? Is it something that he is proving what he's worth? Or is it something where he is hoping and preparing for what's to come? Because this sort of nighttime meditation that Rabbi Nachman asks of us is an important thing, not only for what it can mean for us to think about the world from a large place, the world perhaps from a dangerous place, the world without distractions of the workaday world, but it also is something that hopefully will set us up for the future as we go. And it's something I think that we all need in this moment. Because the world is getting pretty busy. And the world is asking a lot from us. There is no end to the amount of news and requests and things that we have to worry about and think about. And I think that we could all use a night walk. I think we could all use taking and setting the phone aside, setting the news aside, setting our lives aside so that we can think about who we are and we can think about who we want to be. And we can think big picture about our world and we can think big picture about our people. And we have to wrestle with a lot in that moment because it's not just a peaceful time when we're alone at night. We're wrestling with very real things about what's going right and wrong in our own lives, what's going right and wrong in our world. It's a lot to think about and it's a lot to take in, which is why we don't like to do it very often. It's why Rabbi Nachman understands this moment is tinged with a little bit of danger. But it's important, and it's important because it can change us. And that's what we need in this moment, is to be changed for the better. Now the Sfas Emes notes that after Yaakov gets his name changed to Israel, he's generally a more pleasant person to the people around him. Because as I think we talked about a little bit, he gets off to a kind of rocky start, ethically speaking, Jacob does. He's doing some stealing, he's doing some deceiving, he's doing more stealing and more deceiving, and he's doing a lot of not-so-nice things to the people around him. But after his name gets changed to Yisrael, as Yisrael, he's a pretty stand-up guy. And he does right by others, and he tries to do right in the world, but, says the rabbis in the Talmud, he's the only one who gets a name change that goes back and forth. Right? Once Avram becomes Avraham, he's Avraham, and you can't call him Avram anymore. Yis Yaakov becomes Yisrael, and then he can become Yaakov again, and he can become Israel again, because the change isn't full there, but he's taken on a new identity and a much better one. So, this sermon comes with a little bit of homework. Everyone stay up late tonight, okay? It's Saturday. You don't have anything tomorrow. And whatever late is for you, take a little time. Go to a place where you're not usually going to go, whether it's in your house or outside. Think about who you are and think about who you want to be. Wrestle a little bit with who you are and who you want to be. Think about our world and where we are and where we should be. Spend a little time wrestling with our world and where we can do to make this world a little bit better place. And then think about what we can take on and take with us as we start a new day tomorrow. Shabbat Shalom.